today we continue the series we've been in uh, called When Life Gives Us Lemons. And wow, we got a few lemons, right? Many people uh, during this week. And when life gives you lemons, what do you do? Well, you make lemonade, which sounds easy, especially when you're telling that to somebody else. But when life gets really hard, it's not quite as easy, is it, uh, to turn, make lemons or make lemonade out of lemons. And so today we're going to be we're, we're going to see that because today in this Old Testament book of Ruth, uh, we're going to see a, a young adult lady um, as well as another lady, Naomi, her mother-in-law, who faced broken dreams and will show us how to navigate our way through that. You know, one of the one of the really great things about how we're created Uh, how God created us in his image, is that we are dreamers. That God created us to dream big. He invites us to dream big. Uh, That's why when you talk to little kids, and let's say four, five, six years old, and you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, they'll never say something lame, like, I want to be an IRS auditor, or I want to be a pastor, right? It's always something really, really cool, like an astronaut or a ballerina or uh, maybe a pro athlete or a firefighter or a police officer or, you know, something really, really cool. And, and if you ask them to draw their dream house, you know, they're going to draw something really awesome, really amazing, right? Because as human beings, we're created to dream big. And, and that's true for us as adults. I mean, maybe we get a little bit more realistic, you know, as adults, but but it, we all have dreams. I mean, when two people get married and they're there at the altar making that commitment, each of them have a dream for what their life is going to be like together, what their family is going to be like together, what their future is going to be. When somebody starts a career or a new job or a company or something like that, um, they dream. They have a dream of what their life is going to be like. We have financial dreams of how we hope our financial life will work out. We have hopes and goals for like where we, what we want to see in the world and travel and I always want to do this and do that and do this. Um, and those are all great. I mean, God invites us to dream and, and to, and to, like I said, to dream big in terms of what we experience and accomplish and what our relationships will be like. So that's all good news. The hard news is that you and I live in a broken world. And because of that, even though we've been created to dream big, Now living in a fallen world, often we find that those dreams end up in disappointment. Often those dreams don't work out. Uh, Sometimes those dreams get shattered. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. It could be a relationship that you thought would be a really great one, a friend or a romantic relationship, and it just fell apart. Or a marriage that started with such promise but fell apart. Or some family dynamic that you hoped would be so different, but it's turned out not that way at all. And, or maybe it's a financial thing where you hoped you'd be at a different place than you are financially and, and it just feels like a shattered dream or a company or something like that or a career. Uh, maybe you've lost your job or, uh, or maybe it's your health. You know, you thought you or people, somebody that you love would be in, in a healthy state and you'd be doing all this stuff and now you're just dealing with sickness or dealing with an injury. Maybe... Uh, you're trying to figure out how to live when someone close to you is, has, is gone, has died. And you're left thinking, what, what do I do now? Like, like what is my life going to be now? Because it's hard to envision life anymore without that person. There's all kinds of shattered dreams. And, and if you haven't experienced that, you will, unfortunately, because that's life in a fallen world. 
Uh, many of us have experienced that. Some of you are in it right now. And when it happens, how do we navigate it well? Because how we navigate it can either get us in a place where we're just stuck and can't really move forward to the new future that God has for us. Or we can navigate it in a way where, yeah, we'll grieve what we lose, but actually able to move forward into the new that God has for us. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. Um, as we're in this Old Testament book, this little tiny book called Ruth, uh, cool little book, cool little story. And we're going to see how Ruth is going to show us the way and Naomi too, um, as they face some shattered dreams. So let's get into the story and the story. We're going to start in chapter one, verse one. And, uh, and I'm going to have my glasses here because I need them and we don't have our TV. And by the way, we're doing kind of a little bit of a stripped down service today online to try to conserve power with the power grid with so many people out of power. So we don't have the full production thing and TV and all that. We're going to do some cool worship. You'll see that in a little bit. But let's get into the story, Ruth 1.1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of, the, of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So before the famine, Naomi, as a wife and then later mom, she had a great life. She had it made. Uh, her name is beautiful. That's what Naomi means. She was married to Elimelech. My God is king. So they were like this, you know, great couple. It says they were Ephrathites, which doesn't mean anything to us until you look in the background and realize that was a good thing to be. Because in that area, the Ephrathites were like the, the old money. Uh, they were the aristocrats. Uh, they were the ones who, uh, you know, had, had land in their family for a long time. They would have been well known. They would have been wealthy. They would have been the prominent citizens in this little uh, area, this town. Uh, the, uh, the social part of the paper would, would show stories of them all the time, the parties they threw, the things they went to, the charity events they did. I mean, that, that's who they were. They had it made. They had it going on. And they, had, they also had a great family. They had two kids and a dog named Skippy. Well, we don't know about the dog named Skippy, but we do know about the two sons, uh, Malan and Killian. Now, I'm sure they were great, but their names were unfortunate. Malan means sickly and uh, Killian means weak or frail. So why they named him that, I don't know. I'm sure when I pick up basketball games, you know, on the court, when people are picking teams, I'm sure they always got picked last. It's like, at the end, it's like, okay, well, you take sickly, I'll take frail. Okay, and then they, you know, go to the, but who knows, right? I don't know why they were named that, but they had a great life. And then famine hit. Well, that changed everything. Of course, major disruption, famine in the land. And they're wealthy enough to do something about it, like to leave for a while. And they go to Moab, just thinking it's temporary, go to Moab for a while to escape the famine there in Bethlehem, just like people are doing right now. You know, some who are wealthy, like I'm going to get out of the cold or I'm going to get out of the pandemic. And well, that's what they're going to do, right? They have the means to do it. So they go to Moab to escape the famine. And when they go to Moab, I don't know what dreams they had for that period of their life, thinking, oh, this will be an adventure, this will be fun, then we'll go back to our great life at home. But all that falls apart in Moab. It's a shattered dream for Naomi, because Elimelech, her husband, dies, leaving her as a widow, which in that culture, as we talked about last week, the first week in the series, was a really terrible thing to be, because uh, they were on their own. They were destitute. Uh, they were just out on the street. 
a widow didn't have the right to own property. So the property would be gone. They were farmers. I mean, there, there was nothing for them. And it would be devastating unless you had sons. And fortunately for Naomi, she's got two sons, Malan and Killian, sickly and frail, but still her sons. And now by now they're young adult sons. So she's going to be OK. They're going to be able to do the land and all that. And uh, so they marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Uh, they marry up because sickly and frail. Uh, Mary Ruth means refreshing and Orpah means strong, beautiful neck. Another strange name, but I guess they were into that. Um, but still, like a lot of you guys, if you're at home right now and you're with, you have a wife, look at your wife right now and say, you know, I married up, right? And she's going to say, oh, yeah, of course you did. And they certainly did. And so they've got this great life going on. And Ruth is married and this great guy and this great family. And she's even introduced to God, the God of Israel. And, and life is all good until tragedy strikes again. We don't know what happened, but the two sons, Malan and Killian, die. They're, and now that leaves Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi as three widows. And now it really is serious. Because not connected to any man, they would be just destitute. They would be out on the street. Still in many parts of the world, it's that way today for widows. And it's a terrible thing. In fact, as a church and part of our global fund, uh, we work to uh, provide justice and help. But that's a whole other sermon, a whole other story. Uh, but they're just out there and don't know what to do. So Naomi hears that in Bethlehem, where they came from in Israel, that the famine is over. And uh, and so she says, you know what? I mean, I don't know what's going to happen there, but it's a lot. My prospects are a lot better in Bethlehem, at least where I'm from, than staying here in Moab. And so I'm going to go to Bethlehem. And they start and they and the two girls are like, well, we, we'll go with you. And so they're on the way you know, on the road to Bethlehem. And while they're just barely on the road, Naomi realizes, hey, wait a minute, this isn't right for them. And so she tells the girls, she just argues the logic of it. She's like, girls, you don't want to go with me. I'm just an old widow. I've got nothing and no prospects. You're young. You can go right, you're from Moab. You can go right back to your families. You're young enough to do that. Older widows couldn't do that culturally. But younger widows could just go back to your families. You'll meet other guys. You'll have a great life. You'll do a family. There's nothing for you in Israel in a foreign country. You don't want to stay. You don't want to stay with me. You want to go. And uh, and uh, and so they're arguing just a lot. She argues the logic of it. And then she gets theological, too. And here's her theology. It's warped theology. But I felt this way. And I bet you have too at times. She says in one thirteen. To go because. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. What, what she's saying is, look, I'm jinxed. You're not jinxed. Like, don't stay too close to me because lightning will probably hit you. Like, because for her, her life, you know, have you ever noticed that things come in waves or like in a series, like when something bad happens, it feels like it doesn't just one bad thing happen, but it's one thing after another thing after another thing. And for her, it's like famine happens, interrupting her perfect little, you know, soccer mom life. And then she has to go to another country and then her husband dies and then her two sons die. And it just boom, 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 boom. And her filter gets warped. It's hard to maintain perspective when that happens because you're like, you know, God is just obviously has abandoned me or God has something against me or God is just mad at me. I don't know. But you don't want to be around me. I mean, I felt that way. 
Uh, even just over the last few years, you know, in our family, it's been easy to kind of have a distorted filter a little bit because, uh, you know, my dad a few years ago uh, got a, a ALS, um, a, a very rare disease and, and dies. Well, that wasn't our dream. That wasn't our hope. Uh, a few months ago, my brother gets brain cancer and very quickly after that goes into a coma. Months after that dies. We didn't see that coming. That wasn't in the plan. And when things like that happen one after another, it's easy to have a distorted filter. And what I mean by that is you kind of filter out the good things that happen, the graces that happen, and just all you can see is the bad stuff. And you think, my life is just one bad thing after another. Unless you choose to have different perspective to see the grace and the goodness of God, even in the difficult stuff. And we're going to see Ruth able to do that. Naomi's really going to struggle to do that. Uh, Which gets us on into the story. As Naomi says, look, um, yeah, you don't want to be around me. And, and Orpah's like, you know what? I, I, thank you. I, I, I'm going to go back home. She argues a little bit, but she leaves. But Ruth won't. And here's what Ruth says. And, and I bet you've been to a wedding where you've heard these words, um, maybe. In Ruth 1, 16, 18. These are the, the most famous verses in the book of Ruth. But Ruth replied, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. It was like, okay, then you can come with me. And they do. But what do we see Ruth doing? This is really important to know how to navigate because when dreams shatter, because Ruth's, Ruth's dream of a great marriage and family and all that shattered too, but she just has a very different outlook and perspective. Uh, you can see from the passage that even though she grew up in another country, she's been introduced to God. She's now a believer. And in her mind, hey, look, I don't know what's ahead, but I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to go where God wants me to go. And, and she has this pattern in her life that is really helpful. And we're going to see this where basically you trust and obey. That when dreams shatter and you're left not knowing what to do, well, you trust God for the future and you obey. You take the next step in front of you, the, the next clear step. And it may only be one step you know about, but you just say, I'm going to do that. And for her, she knew the right thing to do was to stay with Naomi, to be loyal to Naomi, was to make sure Naomi was going to be okay and, and to go with her to this new place and to go where God's people are. She knew that was the right thing to do and she does it and she's hopeful for the future. Trust God and obey. You just take the next best step that's in front of you. And that's what they do. So in verse 19, it says, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? She probably didn't look like the same Naomi. It's been years. But not only that, she was at the top of society, right? Now she's at the bottom. Now she's a destitute widow. She's come there with Nothing. And they know it. That makes good gossip. And so the whole town, all these ladies come. Can this be Naomi? And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Remember, Naomi means beautiful. Mara means bitter. Don't call me beautiful, she told them. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me beauty? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. 
She's like, the Lord has turned me, my life from beautiful to bitter. And so let's change my name to bitter from beautiful. Not only that, she says, I went away full. I had everything. Now I've got nothing. Now, Ruth was right there with her. I'm sure she's like, hey, what am I, Swiss cheese? Come on. You know, I'm, I'm here. I, I'm loyal. I'm with you. But you can feel for Naomi. She, in her mind, has lost everything. And she's at a place where, in, 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 if you want to know how to get stuck, do what Naomi does. And it's easy to do that. Because you think, well, because this dream died, then my life's over. And the reason this happened is because God made it happen. I mean, that's what she says. The Lord has brought misfortune on me. The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has done this. I mean, how easy is it to do that when bad things happen? To get mad at God and to blame God and to say, well, he's the one that's done this to me. Why are you doing this to me, God? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did I lose my spouse? Why did I lose my job? God, why are, what are you doing? How, why have you abandoned me? It, it really just comes from bad theology. Because, like, good theology is that, hey, you and I live in a broken, fallen world, and God lets us know that we're not shielded from that, that we'll go through brokenness, and we'll go through difficulties, and we'll go through disappointments, and we'll go through suffering just like everybody else, even though we're believers. We, we live in a fallen, broken world, and the truth is, it's not God's fault, because God didn't break the world. He made the world perfect. And the reason you and I are dreamers and think, man, you know, we have these big dreams, and life should turn out to be great... It's because we were designed for a perfect world where everything turns out great. And then when things don't turn out great, we get upset because we're not built for an imperfect world, but we live in an imperfect world because human beings, us, we chose sin. We chose to rebel against God. We're the ones who broke the world. But God has not abandoned us. In fact, we know from the Bible that one day Jesus will return and he'll remake this world and it will be perfect uh, a new heaven and a new earth and no more brokenness, no more sin, no more pain. But even in the meantime, he's committed to bringing beauty out of brokenness. He's, he's committed to being a, a redeemer if we allow him to do that. And if we can get stuck and not be open and just say life's over, I'm mad at God. And, or we can be open to the new redemptive thing God wants to do in brokenness. I mean, Naomi is basically saying God has made my beautiful life Bitter, my beautiful life broken. What God wants to do is take our brokenness and make it beautiful. And Ruth realizes that. Ruth can sense that. Ruth can see that. And she's going to show us the way forward. And so we read in verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Do you feel the hope in that? They just happen to come right when the harvest is beginning. God's provision. Because God is going to show up in a big way for these two ladies. And Ruth can sense that. God is up to something. Yes, this dream that I had is gone and I'm grieving that. And we should grieve when bad things happen. That's okay. But then to look and say, okay, what, what new thing is happening? One of the things that Ruth shows us is that in, instead of Instead of translating God's love in light of circumstances, translate circumstances in light of God's love. See, Naomi translated God's love in light of circumstances. My circumstances are bad. God obviously doesn't love me. From Ruth's perspective, we're going to see you translate circumstances in light of God's love. This is happening. This is a broken dream. But I know God loves me and he's got something, he's got something for me. And I'm going to trust him. And what do you do? You trust 
and you obey. You trust and you take the next step in front of you. She's already done that once and she's going to do that again because it's barley harvest. So she trusts God for the future and she takes the next clear step, the next best step, which is what? Well, it's harvest. They don't have food. So God made a provision in the Old Testament for widows and the rest of the poor that didn't own land that every time there's a harvest, that the corners of the fields were supposed to be left for those who didn't own land. And she's going to get to work and she does. And she harvests and she gets the grain. And if you saw last week, you know what happened. If you didn't see last week, because what she's going to find is that God has a new dream, a bigger dream for her than she could have ever imagined. As she meets the owner of that field, a guy named Boaz, who becomes her guardian redeemer. That's last week's story. Who marries her. They get married. They have a family. She gives birth to a guy named Obed who becomes the grandfather of a guy named David, King David, and on and on in the family line, all the way to Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, She basically gives birth to, to, she becomes an ancestor of Jesus. And God is going to give her a better life than she could have ever imagined because God had a different dream for her. Because one of the amazing things and cool things about God, you know, we talked about at the beginning, you and I are made like little kids to be dreamers. Well, God's a dreamer too. We're made in his image. That's why we're dreamers. And just like we're invited to dream big, well, God dreams big too. But the thing with God is, is his dreams happen. Uh, His dreams don't get shattered. There's nothing that can stop his dreams from becoming reality. And God dreams about you. And God dreams about me. Just like he said to, uh, in, in Jeremiah, he says to his people who had, were going through a period of broken dreams, their life was really, really hard. And he says to them, I know the plans I have for you, Jeremiah 29, 11, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I believe God would say the same thing to you and me as his people, if you know him, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, God is in control of everything. His plans come to fruition and God has a plan for you and it is good. And even when you and I find ourselves with broken dreams and plans that we thought were so great, and they were, and they fall apart, God is powerful enough that he actually uses broken dreams to be part of the overall plan as he redeems those things and turns brokenness into beauty. It makes us even more ready for what God has for us. It doesn't mean it's easier, but it's better. When I think about that, and I just thought of this tonight, um, there's a chase oaker named Dave Rautaba. She goes to our Richardson campus, and he's an amazing guy. And he has a disease similar to my dad. My dad had ALS where your body kind of just starts not working. Uh, your brain's still great, but your body's going away. And, and he's, he's, that's been happening to him for some time. And, and he's got a, uh, something similar to that. Um, and, and he could so easily be bitter. And that was not his plan. That's not what he wanted. That's not what he hoped for, right? And uh, there's just a lot of things he can't do. And all, he could focus on all that, right? But he doesn't. He focuses on what he can do. And what he can do is pretty amazing. That through his encouragement, through his prayer, through his Bible studies, through his mentoring of people, he's one of the most impactful chase oakers we have. And he's living the dream. Maybe not the dream he would have scripted, but he understands that God is at work and God has something for him and he's just going for it. And he's such an encouragement to me when things don't work out exactly like I wish they would. Because God has a bigger dream. And that's true for you. 
And some of you right now are trying to figure out, what do I do now? Because a dream is just shattered. You've lost a job. You've had a financial downturn. Something in a business didn't work out or a relationship fell apart, a marriage fell apart, or, um, or maybe you're, you know, somebody has died close to you and you're like, I don't know what to do now. I don't know if I want to go on anymore. I mean, you're all those, and it may be like Naomi, it's really tempting to say, well, God hates me and, and, and my life is over and I've got nothing. And, right? we, and I understand all those feelings. But what we need to understand is, yes, there's some things to grieve, and that's okay. And it's interesting, God doesn't even condemn Naomi. He understands her feelings. But Ruth shows us the way, and Naomi gets on board eventually. Ruth shows us the way to get unstuck and to say, okay, God, this is hard, but you love me, and you've got something for me because you have a plan for my life. And this somehow is going to work into that. And you're going to turn this difficult thing into beauty, brokenness into beauty, and there's a new plan you have for me. And I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to obey. Just like Ruth did. So what do you do? Well, you trust, and then you take, you obey. You take the next clear step. And for some of you right now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't know what that next clear step is. Then let me give you a clear step. Ask God to give you a clear step. Just, just say, God, I don't have enough light to even know what to do next. And just say, God, I need to know what to do next. I don't need to know 10 steps. I don't need to know 100 steps. I just need to know the next step. God, what do you want me to do? Some of you may know it. I don't know. But it could be as simple as saying, God, I don't want to be isolated anymore. And I know in your word, you tell me to be connected to other people. I'm going through this stuff. I can't go it alone. So God, help me take the next clear step. And that is to join with others, get in a group. Uh, this is a great time to do that right now at Chase Oaks, by the way. You'll hear about that in a couple minutes. But I'm just going to take that step. Maybe it's a step toward God to say, I want to begin a relationship with God. Maybe it's a step towards serving others. Because often when we find ourselves in difficult times, it's easy to get self-focused. And one of the ways to get pulled out of that is to serve other people. And when you serve other people, it takes the eyes off me, takes the eyes off my problems and says, hey, God has a purpose for me. And it's not about me, it's about others, and, and we join him in that. Um, I don't know what the next step is for you, but God does. And just say, God, you know, just give me clarity. We're going to pray in just a moment. Say, God, give me the next step. And, and I, I trust that God will do that. And wherever you find yourself, just be encouraged to know that God is a dreamer. He loves you more than you can imagine. And he has a dream for you. That is a beautiful one. Like he told those back in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And he can turn even a shattered dream and out of brokenness make beauty. Let's bow our heads together right now and wherever you are in prayer, unless you're podcasting and driving or something, but let's pray. And I'm going to invite you just to talk to God. Prayer is just talking to God in your own words. And, and for some of you, it may be things in your past that you just think, I don't understand why that, that, that. And this is an opportunity to just say, God, I don't know what all that means, but I don't want to get stuck. And, and help me take a next step. And God, would you just tell me what that next step is? For some of you, uh, you might be in it right now. And say, God, I'm grieving and I'm hurting. And the Bible says, by the way, that we can come to him in our grief and hurt 
And he even grieves with us and he will strengthen us um, because he's a sympathetic high priest. He knows what it's like to suffer because he came here and he suffered like you and I do. He knows what it's like to face the stuff we face. And even as he grieves with us, it's also an opportunity. God, just say, God, just help me know what the next right step is to trust you and to move into the future that you have for me. And for some of you, this may be an opportunity to begin a relationship with God. To say, God, you made that possible by sending Jesus here to die on the cross for my sin and he rose from the dead and he's alive and he wants to come into my life and, and turn, turn brokenness into beauty and I invite you into my life. I want to begin a relationship with you. Now, maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's to get in a group. Maybe it's to take a step of I don't know what it is. But right now, just ask God to, to speak into your heart and to say, God, what is my next step? And then I encourage you to just do it and let us know how we can help you take that step. Let's, I'm going to pray on behalf of all of us. Father, thank you for your incredible love for us, that you have a hope and a future, that you love us, have a plan for us, and are always at work, and your plans always come to fruition. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.